0: Hey, the button turns red. What button? The record button. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Welcome to the Real Time Roots podcast. I'm your host, Christy L., and this is my co host, Sarah. Hello, everyone. <laughs> At Joyfully, we help you grow your own food and remedies so that you can create health and wellness for your family naturally. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about where to find food when there's no food in the grocery stores, when the shelves are empty. So, I have a little story to start with. In 2015, we had
1: a devastating fire in our area. It started roughly 40 kilometers away and was on one of the main routes into the Okanagan from our area. The fire spread rapidly and affected the local provincial campground that our family had stayed at just a few weeks previously. And it ended up spreading out from that area and going across the other major highway that was also coming into the area. The end result was many families were displaced, over 20 houses were burned, and there was no trucks, getting into the area because both the major highways from the coast into our region were cut off by the fire. And for the people who were displaced, they were displaced without necessary clothing, necessary hygiene items, and the call went out to the rest of the region to give what they happened to have in their homes to those who were displaced. And while the community banded together and there was an amazing outpouring of support community spirit and love to everybody it did bring into perspective that if we didn't have a lot of people who bought up for several months at a time it would have been a much different situation when all the stores in the area were out of many many items because trucks weren't coming through
0: to make it worse though there was another forest fire on the other side of us that cut off the highway from that direction. We were in a fire sandwich and there was about 20,000 people in our area Plus the people that were stuck there because they were in the campground or they were vacationing and they couldn't get out because the highways were closed. And the situation went on for three weeks to a month before the highways opened again and they could get some trucks through. So our area was literally stuck with whatever we had at the time and a lot of people donated. In fact, they had so many donations of things like feminine hygiene products and food and clothing and bedding that um, they actually had to stop, tell people to stop donating because there was so many great donations. The community really came together. But as Sarah said, it really rung home the fact that it, Preparing for the future and preparing for emergencies is essential, and it's important to have a plan to know what you're going to do as a family if the supplies get cut off. And we are seeing that a lot right now. We are seeing some fires in supply chain places, egg distribution, vegetable distribution, and other supply chain breaking down. There's uh, problems with culling of chicken flocks because of avian influenza throughout the world. It's not just in the US or in Canada. And there's drought and there's flooding that's also affecting um, late planting of the crops. Um, And the buzz in the news media is that we're going to see some food shortages. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about what you can do
1: to be able to provide for your family and maybe some of your neighbors and friends as well, when the supply chains aren't supplying. Now, we're not intimating that we're gonna
0: face starvation. That's not where we're coming from, but What we're seeing now is that there are some shortages in regional areas, regional local shortages. And so this is a great way, uh, what we're gonna share with you today is a great way to prepare for that. The other arm of this is that inflation is up and no one's denying that. Bread is up 12%, meat is up 10%, uh, pasta is up uh, almost 20%, coffee's up 14% and we're not even starting yet to
1: talk about fuel prices. Natural gas has gone up 22%, gas and home heating fuels are up roughly 64%, and gas for our cars and trucks, our vehicles, is up around 40%. So there has been quite a rise in those prices, and the effect of rising gas prices will also lead over into even higher rises in food prices because farmers need gas. For sure.
0: Pretty hard to plant a field if your tractor can't run.
1: And diesel is up even more than regular gasoline, which makes it even harder on the farmers and on our trucking infrastructure.
0: So, what can we do, Sarah?
1: Well, we can look at other places to find food besides the grocery store and the food bank which largely draws from the grocery store. So one fairly straightforward option that a lot of people will think about is hunting and fishing. Local lakes, at least in BC, are often stocked with game fish like rainbow trout. They're usually restocked yearly. And while there are limits in place for daily fishing, fishing is an option for getting a good protein source. And then again, hunting is also an option, though you will need and core certification, as well as the hunting license and the individual game tag. So
0: that's in BC, but the regulations are different depending on where you live. Um, So make sure you check the regulations in your area before you venture out with a gun or with a fishing rod to make sure that you can legally catch and take home. But that's one option. Um, Another option is community gardens. And community gardens and allotment gardens are quite similar. But in North America, most places have community gardens. Community gardens are free plots of garden space that you can grow food in. Um, It varies with communities. And I want to say if we mention something and you don't have them in your area, you can always start one. Just because it's not there now doesn't mean it will never be there. You can be the person who starts it. Community gardens usually have some rules, like maybe they're only organic, or maybe uh, they don't allow certain things. Uh, Maybe they allow only a certain kind of vegetable, or maybe they only allow flowers. But it's, it's good to find out what the community gardens are in your area. When we were visiting Ottawa and Montreal a couple years ago, there were community gardens, and everyone had like a raised bed plot and they were beautiful. We visited in the middle of August and the flowers were blooming and the tomatoes were ripening on the vine. And you might think that in the middle of a city with a community garden, people would just come and help themselves to the fruit, but that didn't happen. Even though the community garden wasn't locked or gated, people let the fruit ripen and people, you know, I guess the people who grew the garden were able to harvest their own food. Um, And when we were in Montreal, it was really nice We were right in old Montreal, and they had uh, gardens out front uh, between the, the brownstones, and people were growing tomatoes and herbs and squash right there between the houses. So even if you live in the city, there's lots of places where you can grow your own food, and when you grow it yourself, it's just about free
1: There's also the option if you have a garden in your backyard or even if you're growing in a community garden or an allotment. An allotment is a United Kingdom version of a community garden that is usually rented, in case you were wondering. But there's also the option if you have neighbours who are growing or you're growing in a community garden and you can talk to the other people who are growing there, that you can do garden bartering or garden sharing and what that is is you grow a large amount of a crop you're good at growing maybe you're really good at growing carrots but you can't grow radishes no matter how hard you try and you talk to someone else who's good at growing what you're not good at growing like the radishes or maybe corn or you talk about plants that need a lot of space like pumpkins, corn, watermelon, cantaloupe and you figure out who has the space and they'll put in a couple extra plants to use the space So maybe one person will put their entire community garden into corn, because corn needs to be in a solid block and you can't just grow one row. And maybe you're really good at growing carrots, so you put in a ton of carrots, and another person's really good at growing pumpkins, so they put in a bunch of pumpkins. And then when harvest time comes, the gardeners will share their harvest with each other. So then instead of one person, of everybody having to put in a little bit of everything to have a decent harvest, the growing is split up and you're able to share the abundance with each other. It also helps with crop rotation because next year you could grow the corn or you could grow beans or peas to regenerate the soil and you switch who's growing what each year so that the abundance can be shared and it's not all on one person to try and provide everything that they want from the garden.
0: I I really like that. It gives a real sense of joy to see your garden producing, and then to be able to share. Like, it's it's almost like you're multiplying the joy that comes from your garden because you're growing an abundance, and so you have enough to share. And if you grew all the food yourself, you'd have kind of a sense of satisfaction and an overwhelm because now you have to preserve it. But you miss that sense of sharing, the joy that comes from sharing it. Whereas if, if you know, if you're growing pumpkins and I'm growing corn and mary over here is growing lettuce and we all share as the harvest comes in then uh, each one of us gets that sense of satisfaction that we grew enough to share and we had an abundance uh, and overflow and I ca- i think you kind of miss that if you're just working for yourself and you're taking everything from your garden so i think that's really cool what you sh- what you suggested about garden bartering and sharing If growing some of your own food sounds like something you're ready to do right now, I've got the perfect next step for you. My fill your salad bowl workshop is a concise workshop that will show you how to grow enough greens to fill a salad bowl every day. That's a great first step just to fill a salad bowl. It's not overwhelming and anyone can do it. You can do it even if you don't have any land, even if there's three feet of snow covering your garden, even if you've killed houseplants in the past, and even if you don't think you have a green thumb. Here's what we cover in this workshop. Now remember, it's a concise workshop. It's not gonna take a long time to go through, so everyone's gonna have enough time to do this. You'll learn three different salad green growing methods that you can implement right away. You'll learn the exact methods I use to keep my salad bowl full so I never run out even if I have unexpected company. You'll also learn where to cut costs and still be successful growing salad greens at home. You'll learn the ideal equipment to use if you want to grow greens faster and easier. The unique pitfalls to avoid with indoor and container growing. You'll learn how to save a crop that goes wrong. Where to find organic seed at reasonable prices how to store your seed so it stays viable for years so that you can save money now on bulk seed purchases. And you'll learn the health benefits of sprouts, microgreens and healthy greens and how to optimize these benefits in the way you grow them and the way you store them. We'll also give you 17 ideas for using homegrown salad greens in the kitchen so they never get mundane. If you're ready to start growing some of your own food, And you think salad greens are a great place to start like I do? Check the link in the show notes.
1: Another place to find food is from abandoned farms such as old apple orchards or old berry farms and berry patches way back around 2000 and Three or 2004 we were new to the area and we joined up with another family to make apple cider and they took us out to a old Dukobor orchard that they had permission of the landowners to pick from and the trees were no longer cared for they weren't sprayed they weren't pruned they weren't taken care of at all and we picked several bushels of apples that morning And then we took them back, rinsed them off, and did cursory chopping up to make sure they didn't have worms, and put them through the cider press. And we had enough fresh apple cider to last the winter from that one day of effort. So there's always options with finding abandoned orchards, and of course, if the property is actively under somebody's care, talking to them before entering the property to try harvesting.
0: I I think what you just shared, Sarah, is very cool because that day, I remember that day, and we're actually three families working together, and all three of us took a portion. We all worked together. We all picked together. We put it through the cider press together. We were all sitting there having fun with families together, talking and cutting up the apples. And then when we were finished, we just divided, based on family size, the the jugs of apple cider so that was really fun i remember i took some home and i made apple cider vinegar out of it and uh and then we had some that i actually canned because fresh apple cider doesn't last very long if you don't have refrigeration you end up with hard apple cider very quickly which wasn't our intention so yeah it was great and we had that camaraderie too and that um and i think you can do that with a lot of things where you're gathering free food because uh, you're gathering it with, if you can gather it with other families and you can have maybe a day of, um, if we didn't have the cider press, we could have had a day of apple pie filling making or applesauce making and the same thing. We could have worked together and then split together what was what was there. It's a great way to build community and a great way to get food and to stock your shelves and your pantry so that when the shelves of the store are empty or there's
1: gaps, you still have some food. Another option if you're looking for food out in the wild is just general foraging. There are a lot of different branches of foraging. Some people forage for one or two things specifically in certain times of the year, like those who go out hunting morels or chanterelles. and. Then there's also those like myself who keep our eye open for certain herbs like St. John's wort or the wild rose petals or hawthorn berries and will specifically forage our herbs when they're in season. When we're looking for food, there's also the option of foraging things like Saskatoon berries, wild blueberries,
0: thimbleberries, raspberries, currants.
1: Asparagus. Well, that is one that you can forage in the spring. It's the berry that grows up on the mountainside. Huckleberry. Yes, huckleberries. (laughs) And then there's also other options, like if you let plants go to seed, you can end up foraging lettuce from your own backyard, or parsley, or walking onions. They're escaping.
0: Good point, good point. But then you need to have a garden garden. So we've been talking a lot about the free food that's available, which is always fun. Community gardens, bartering, abandoned farms, foraging. But there's also local sources of food that you might have to pay for. And it might not be any cheaper than buying in the store, but it might be more nutritious. And uh, one of the things that we have in our area is local farms, Now, if you live in the city, there probably are some local farms, but they might just be on the outskirts of the city. Um, But where we are, we live rural, and so there are local farms very close. In fact, my neighbor is a beef farmer with grass-fed beef, which I'm very fortunate to be their neighbor. And uh, they are completely organic and have... um, ethical practices Uh, one of the fun things is that you know beef farmers have to brand their cattle well they don't brand with a hot brand they brand with ice so their cows are treated well from birth all the way to um, breeding and through their lifespan and uh, they're right next door to me Uh, and it's important to me because i get to talk to her and i get to find out the ethical way that they raise their beef And I get to communicate and I also hear about their hardships, like when coyotes come in and rip up their calves and the hardships that happen with beef farmers that you don't really, really hear about when you're just buying a package of meat in the store. So that's that puts a face on the ethicalness of the food. But there's also local farms that raise vegetables and apple orchards around our area. Um, vegetable farms. And so you can find them at the farmer's market, but you can also find them by directly contacting the farmer and visiting their farm.
1: We also have the local apiaries.
0: Right. The bee farmers. The bee farmers with the honey. You can buy direct from, from the bee farmers and get their honey. And local honey is really healthy because it's got all the, the foraged herbs and flowers and so eating the pollen from them and the pollen and that can actually be uh, more beneficial for your health than even manuka honey which has all the advertising and the marketing behind it. If I as a herbalist am looking for honey, I would always go with local honey,
1: unpasteurized local honey. You can also find local processing places in your area that may be able to provide local food that can include small-scale grain mills, dairy farms, or dairy processing. You may be able to find cannery, a commercial kitchen, or other food processing in your area that you can connect with. That can also include local bakeries, especially if they happen to source their flour from local mills.
0: So Sarah, if you're looking at uh, what we have available in our area, what's your favourite? Do you have a favorite local processing place that you love to go visit?
1: Um, I like going out to Jerseyland Organics. They have some really nice soft serve ice cream that they brought in, I think, last year or the year before. Actually, they just brought in the machine. It's their milk. Yeah, but I think they brought in the machine last year. Yeah, that's mid-summer. right. Midsummer. That's right. So that's really nice. Of course, the fre- being able to get fresh milk from their dispensing machine is also great.
0: And they have a petting zoo. So when you go to pick up cheese or yogurt or milk from the vending machine, you can also visit with the animals. I think they have a peacock, too. That's new.
1: Yeah.
0: So we talked a bit about farmer's markets. And I know, Sarah, you are selling mushrooms at the farmer's market this year. So... What do you find at the farmer's market that you love that makes you want to go back? People. People. Tell me more.
1: It's the connections in the community. You get to know a lot more people. You get to talk to a lot more people coming through. And you learn a lot more about your community and what's around. And it's not just the vendors at the market. It's also the people coming through shopping and buying. You end up hearing a lot more than you probably would expect about the individuals who are coming by.
0: That's a good point. I know when we first moved here, we didn't know where the local food was, and we were just going to the grocery store at first. And it took a little bit of being in the community for a while and talking to people before we found out, you know, about Jersey Land Organic, so we could go get our milk there and our cheese there, and about some of the local vegetables and and fruit vendors, and where to source honey. And so if you're new to an area, maybe you've moved recently or you haven't taken the time to really get to know your local area, it can take some time to make the connections and find out where the local food sources are. But they're there. And the farmer's market is a great place to start to ask questions to get to know your area better so that you can actually find those sources. Another source of local food is CSA boxes. Now, CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And how most CSA boxes work is you make a contract at the beginning of a season and you get a weekly or bi-weekly box of whatever the farm happens to have that week um, that they're harvesting. And so it can be a great way to get vegetables that are fresh from the farm. Usually they're picked that morning before the box is delivered. So you've got the freshest food possible if you don't have your own garden. And um, it's also often they'll they'll send the box with recipes or maybe um, extra treats, extra things like uh, like maybe bars of soap that the farm made or those kinds of things. And so it can be really fun uh, to get the box and also to get the surprises in the box.
1: Also, some CSAs are formed by partnership between multiple farms say a vegetable farmer a fruit farmer and maybe a beef and poultry farmer so you can depending on the csa you can actually get enough groceries sometimes for a week or more just from the one box because they've part inter partnered with different farms
0: very cool Very cool. So as you can see, there's a lot of different places besides the grocery store that you can find food if the grocery store shelves are starting to get empty. If you're just getting started thinking about using herbs to make something so that you can feel better and start to tap into the natural wellness, I've got the perfect course for you. My course, the Inspiring Botanical Drinks, Mixers and Elixirs course. In this video course, you'll learn how to make healthy beverages that will help you break away from sodas and sugary drinks or plain boring water. Even if you have a two or three soda a day habit, even if the kids are home and you keep running out of ice and ideas, even if you struggle to get enough fluids in your body because of the heat, even if you are watching your macros, your carbs or your waistline, even if you have food sensitivities or allergies and even if the rising price of food and drink has you making tough decisions about where to cut costs if you are making more food at home and watching your budget but go to the same bottled beverages day in and day out this class will inspire you to up your game in the beverage category with healthy and creative options that are also kind to your budget So, have a look at the inspiring botanical drinks mixers and elixirs class. You'll find the link in the show notes. But once you get the food, um, often these kinds of things happen in abundance and then there might be a dearth. And so the way to solve that problem of what to do with the abundance so that you prepare for the time of dearth or the time of scarcity is to, to use a little bit of strategy when you're getting your CSA box or you're buying stuff from the farmer's market or maybe you're gathering food yourself from old apple orchards is to to preserve it.
1: If you're foraging in the wild, the best thing to do is to harvest only what you know you can consume or preserve before it goes bad. And sometimes it's recommended to harvest 10% or less of what's available when we're talking about wild foraging. If you're talking about, say, harvesting from a disused apple orchard or even gleaning from an active apple orchard, just harvest as much as you know you can preserve and plan out your preserving strategy if you're gathering say 50 pounds of apples but your strategy is to turn it all into apple pie filling that might be a little bit too much hands-on but if you're planning on turning it into baked applesauce or even fruit leather that can be a lot more efficient and require less effort than say doing 50 pounds of apples into pie filling
0: so let's talk about why it works to preserve for one thing, if you can preserve the food as it comes in, you're getting the freshest possible food that there is. It's going to be high in vitamins, high in minerals, and you can preserve those vitamins and mir- minerals somewhat by the way that you handle it after you bring it home. Now, it's important not to let it sit in, in a back corner till it starts to go bad before you decide you should preserve it. If you plan to preserve it, you should start preserving it as soon as you bring it home because that preserves the vitamins and minerals and gives you the best quality. And the Uh, best flavor. And the best flavor. And then... There's many ways you can preserve it, and we just want to talk about two of them today. We're going to talk about water bath canning and dehydrating because those are the easiest beginner methods. So if you've never done any food preservation before, this is the easiest way. It gives you a shelf-stable product that you just need to find um, a, a storage space to organize it. So first, water bath canning. Now water bath canning, you need a little bit of equipment. You need to have a large pot with a rack in it to hold jars. You need glass jars that are made for canning so that they can handle the heat process. And you need uh, two part lids, a lid that is a disposable lid and then a ring to hold it on the jar. Usually if you're buying canning jars new, then, then the canning jars will come with that ring and seal. And the lid part um, is uh, single-use, so you need to replace it every year. Every time you use the jar for a new canning project, you'll need to replace just the lid. But the jar is reusable and the ring is reusable. And if you have the large pot with a rack and you have the canning jars, you're ready to go. Now, not everything can be water bath canned. Usually with water bath canning, we can can fruit, we can can jam, and then we can add acid to other things um, like in pickles or like uh, pizza sauce or things like that so that the item becomes high acid and then it can be safely water bath canned.
1: Normally we add citric acid or another vinegar acidifying agent to the jar so that say tomato sauce or whole tomatoes, and obviously pickles usually have vinegar added, so that they are safe to can with the water bath canning method and will stay free from potential danger.
0: Like botulism. Yep. Botulism bacteria can't grow in high acid environments. So that's why we can water bath can anything that's high acid like fruit or jam or, or pickles or tomato products. And that's basically all that we would water bath can. So if you're talking about green beans uh, generally unless they're a pickle we wouldn't water bath can them. We would pressure can them but that's for another day. Um, The other way to uh, preserve food that's really easy for a beginner is dehydrating. For dehydrating, it can be done in an oven. But if you're talking about a large amount of food, you're better off to have a commercial dehydrator that's specifically made for dehydrating. Um, It's more energy efficient. It's more energy efficient. It's also more labor efficient for you. And so there's many different kinds of dehydrators on the market. Round tabletop models are usually under $100. And then you can get like cabinet style ones that are anywhere from $150 to up to $1,000, depending on how big or how fancy. But you can get a good quality one that will work for your needs for about $150 to $200. So you don't have to spend $1,000 to get a good one. And with dehydrating, you basically are preparing the food with vegetables. We would blanch them by dipping them in boiling water and then chilling them quickly slicing them and putting them on the trays. And then most dehydrators will have instruction booklets with them that will tell you uh, what temperature and how long to dehydrate. And once the food is dehydrated, then you can put it in a jar or put it in a, a Ziploc bag or a Mylar bag to store it. The dehydrating itself is preserving it because you're removing moisture and bacteria can only grow in A moist area. So if you remove the moisture you've stopped any kind of bacterial contamination from happening.
1: If you want to learn more about dehydrating you can always check out Chris's book about dehydrating for beginners. It's a full recipe book including some recipes for meals with a lot of information about different ways to dehydrate fruits, vegetables, mushrooms, meat and more. Personally, I enjoy dehydrating because I can run a tray or two of just what I have excess of Whether that's basil or bananas or more else it doesn't really matter because I can Slip them in the dehydrator when I realize I have excess and have them dried and ready to go into a jar or a mylar bag within 12 hours.
0: I think dehydrating is also a great way to make snacks, healthy snacks, um, which is going to save you money because you don't have to buy snacks at the grocery store then. Snacks like fruit leather, which is like fruit roll-ups, right, but healthier because you you control how much sugar is in them. Um, Also, seedy crackers I make all the time in my dehydrator, and there's lots of other snacky type things you can make in the dehydrator.
1: I like turning frozen fruit into fruit leather when I need to clean out my freezer before the next year's fruit comes in.
0: That's much better than composting it.
1: And it makes sure I rotate what's in the freezer and I switch the food preservation method. So if, like what happened two weeks ago in my freezer, decides to conk out on me, I don't lose a lot of food. So, backstory. A couple weeks ago, Sarah's freezer died. All of a sudden. It just started smelling like burnt rubber. It uh, was still cold.
0: And so she had to get her food out of the freezer fast and get another freezer fast so that she wouldn't uh, set her house on fire or lose all the food in the freezer. And that's one of the reasons why I said it's really important to have a shelf-stable way of preserving food because with electricity, you never know if you're gonna have it next week, especially with what they're talking about now with rolling blackouts. You don't wanna lose the food in your freezer. That happened to me too. So it's really important to have, even if you do have some food in the freezer, that you also have a shelf stable way of preserving food. All right, so we've been talking about what to do when the grocery store shelves are empty, and we've talked about Why it's important, where you can find free food, where you can find local food, and also how to preserve what you have. And uh, in the next episode, we're going to talk more about growing food, gardening. And one thing that we would like you to take away from this is one positive action. Go to your local farmer's market and talk to two farmers and find out why they grow what they grow, how they grow it. And make sure when you go to the farmer's market, you take cash with you because not everyone has the credit card square machine and you'll be great. And you'll have fun at the farmer's market as you get to know your local community better. Thanks, Sarah, for helping me with this episode and thanks listeners for listening. And before you go, please share, like, subscribe and uh, and be sure to check out my book, the Dehydrator Cookbook for Beginners. It's available on Amazon. And it looks awesome. Bye-bye.